0: Here we are again. Hello, Jeff. Nice. Right, so here we are, again. different place. <laughs> Same people, different place. Different pint. Different pint. Yeah. What's today's pint, Jeff? Uh, no, you bought album. it. I think it's a Green King IPA, isn't it? Green pink. Green Green King.
1: Green pink. I've only had a, like a quarter of a pint. I'm drinking. Um, it looks like squash. It looks like uh, blackcurrant, but it's a strong Dark fruit. Ooh, it sounds very mysterious. Mm-hmm. Strong word dark
0: fruit. Okay. And we're in the Brunel Bar in Bristol. Named after is Bar Kingdom Brunel? Yes. Famous day. engineer. Do you know what he built Jeff? Can you tell me what he built? Uh, oh he was famous for the railroads. Well, yes, there he, was, built, um, he built the suspension bridge? Correct. Anything else?
1: <laughs> the SS Great Britain. Oh, okay. Famous boat. Yeah. One of the first boats made of quite iron. quite multi skilled
0: then. Very That's an interesting su- subject there, isn't it? Nice <laughs> <laughs> like, like segue there. Like my daughter knows, she did a project on Brinau, right? so she. As did my me. daughter Remember at school again. at
1: the moment. So, what's uh, what's uh, what's new for Jeff? What's,
0: what's burning at the moment in, in, the, in the world of Jeff Watts? Well, I wouldn't say it's burning, but something. Well, might be relevant actually to that Brunel comment because I get asked a, a, few, a few times recently and actually came up, I noticed it on I was on Quora, that website I've been looking at recently, people asking questions and asking you to answer questions and things. And there was one which, which got quite a lot of interest, which is, does it make sense for every member of, of, a, of a scrum team to estimate, even if it's an item that only one person has knowledge of? That makes sense. Right. Okay. So it's not like a planning poker. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the uh, aspects of, a, of an estimation of estimation in Scrum is that everybody takes part. Doesn't it? It's yes. Not you estimate your estimate. bit. It's a team estimate rather than an individual estimate. And it's something I think gets asked quite a lot in training courses, especially when you know, teams are they're not really cross-functional yeah they're used to doing their bit and handing off to somebody else so well what's the point in us doing this estimate? because I don't know how long it's going to take him to do his bit yeah
1: well they they can still be cross-functional but they're not necessarily there's no overlap of or no kind of common ground between because I I I had a situation recently as a CSM course Um, Uh, just a month or so ago Um, and uh, very much an organization that's split between hardware and software Mm -hmm. so the product involved the delivery does involve is mainly driven by a hardware element yeah but they can't obviously deploy that or kind of um, release that hardware until the software that supports it is is uh, is tested and and working alongside it so and they are very Functionally split. The teams were still cross-functional, but they're so you not. Had hardware people and software people in the same team. Correct, and they basically. found it really tough. They found they found that there's almost uh, why why should we even bother estimating together? Because so you, what, did they have a hardware estimate and a software estimate? Then? Well, they were no but they were very much led by during those estimation sessions that if it was a hardware piece of work then someone doing the hardware would estimate the work okay so they, they'd split it up so they've almost yes
0: subdivided their team into into two yeah and presumably the hardware's no use of the software the software's no use for the hardware so they, they were, can't they can't deliver done, the whole no they weren't estimating done and there was work. there
1: was a noticeable split between that team I mean, they were all in the same room but they didn't really they weren't working as one team because they didn't really share or care what each other's estimates were and I spent quite a long time in trying to encourage them to thinking that there is, there is well, I think there's still value in even if you might not be an expert mm. there's still value in, in at least you understanding or showing a bit of empathy that you can understand how hard or how easy a job
0: is okay. even if you're not an expert in it okay Well I'm not a I'm not an expert in anything, really. But the more, the more exposed I am to examples of work, whatever that work is, whether it's gardening, building, writing, running, anything that, that you can see a number of examples of, even without my skill level, I can use that experience to be able to compare one against another. Mm. Um, and I can start asking some questions about... The, the, the areas of difficulty that I see, um, maybe with maybe from a naive perspective and I think even if in some
1: cases you are the person that is still ninety five percent likely to do that work yep. there is still an extreme amount of value in sharing and explaining out. How something, how you've arrived at that decision, because maybe you've made an assumption that you didn't realise, or maybe just just talking it through with the rest of your team yeah. is still a good, a good, a worthwhile experience because you might discover or just verify
0: that is this the right way to do things? That's interesting. I had not thought of that before. Maybe indeed, um, if, if I'm if I'm the expert then and I'm explaining how how I'm going to do it. What's going through my head, where the difficulties are, where the risks are, and then everybody else estimates. Yeah. If, before, yeah. if everybody, if, if there are variances there, then I've obviously. I might not explain it not well. explain it
1: particularly well, yeah. So we'll almost get, that's an interesting idea, get the person that's more likely to do the work to almost not vote. Not estimate, yeah. And then see what the rest of the team come up with. Yeah. And they might find maybe I've explained it too simplistically or maybe I've added too much complexity. It's, it'll start questioning myself. But I don't, I don't particularly have... I mean, we kept both came from the BC background where it was quite usual, actually, to find a team that we were coaching where there was a huge disparity between functional... Um, you know, areas that we'd quite be involved with networks, engineers yeah. who were working quite closely with software designers or, or whatever that might have been, um, and really they, we had to just try and encourage this sense
0: that at the end of the day, the estimate that we come up with is the right estimate. Yeah, I remember, I remember BT teams where, well one in particular actually, where they were very set on having a development estimate and a testing estimate. Yeah, uh, because the developers couldn't empathise with the testers, and the testers couldn't empathise with the developers. Yeah, uh, and there was very a very clear handoff within the team between between those two roles. Um, and they, we had a huge. I remember having a huge discussion with them about uh, yeah the value of thinking about this as, as as a piece of work that as a team we're going to tackle.
1: Yeah, and again, this is sometimes I think that the units that we use can sometimes pushes down a particular route as well. So if we're talking about, although we don't tend to, Scrum certainly doesn't uh, dictate how you should estimate the mm-hmm. units that you use, but if you're going down the day's route, it's quite easy to attach the day to my own personal effort because that's how I measure my effort in terms of it will take me five days to test this piece of work or it will take me three days to develop it. Yeah. Whereas, and again, again back to this CSM course I was in, the, the the guys, the hardware and software guys, found it really hard to move into more of an abstract way of estimating, because I've always been estimating in terms of my time, mm. and and trying to think about it as someone else's time is completely alien to me, or just complexity, or yeah, anything more yeah. Or more abstract, the size of the job rather than the effort. Uh, An interesting. uh, This is years ago, but um, another company that I spoke to a long time ago, a visual effects company in London, um, doing, making some very cool stuff for some very cool movies at the time, films like Harry Potter, Inception, things like that. Very exciting, very cool. Um, And I was talking to them about the whole idea of cross-functional teams and and Scrum and, and that type of thing. Now, it's not. The the collaborative approach is is not an unknown concept in visual effects, and if you read about companies like Pixar and things like that, very much do a lot of the agile stuff um, without thinking about it. But this, um, they were particularly, and I I didn't realise that in visual effects, something like, um, although I, I assumed that visual effects was all quite similar. But visual effects artists are hired, their CV basically dictates their role, very much so. So if I'm a visual effects artist for, and it's something as specific as fire, okay, I would be hired for a film for my ability to create fire. But a fire artist is someone who does something very differently to a hair visual effects artists oh, wow. the two do not overlap apparently I didn't realise this um, so it's again it's a good example they still wanted to work as a team and they still got value from sharing ideas and progress but there was absolutely no way that they, there was redundancy across so if it, one was off, off sick the other one wouldn't be able to pick up the work because it's just completely artistically different I find that really hard to believe. I find that incredible I, I, at the time I think it was incredible as well um, What something that you think is so similar can be so different. What does that tell us? <laughs> I, I've got no problem really with um, you know, the fact that there will probably always be a split or a divide. Not every, I don't certainly prf, um, profess that everyone will be, always be able to do everyone else's job. No. And I'm not suggesting that every Scrum team has to have a complete you know, uh, crossover of skills, mm. but I think the more, at least the, a degree of empathy that you can have with other people in your team, yeah. is better than a, a divide. Someone
0: retweeted something I tweeted a long time ago, I can't even remember when it was, but I, I, I know that I said it, it might have been an article I'd written or something, anyway, it was, I made a comment a long time ago that every Scrum team should have a five-year-old in it, <laughs> because, I guess five-year-olds ask ridiculously simple and oh, usefully stupid questions. Yes, naive questions. I think is probably the right word. And those those naive questions. Why are you doing that? Yeah. What, no, but why are you doing that? That kind of thing. And having that lack of knowledge, that lack of expertise, coming from a different angle. Yeah. It's not always a bad thing. Yeah. And that explaining it and that that empathy and. But I think that's a a really important part that isn't it's not the point of the of the team estimation process. But I think it's a useful byproduct of it. Yeah. yeah. And as well, I think we get too hung
1: up about the fact that the more that we analyze estimates, the better they become, but I don't, I don't believe that at all. No. And one of the Scrum Masters that I know quite well he told me recently, he said, you know what Paul, it's amazing that my team are terrible at estimating. They are absolutely terrible at e- uh, estimating, yet we're a completely predictable velocity. So for every estimate that they come up, they'd, they'd, they'd estimate badly, there'll be something else that they Overestimate. Okay. So it's it. We do tend tend to make this too much of a science that sometimes it's just about coming up with something that everyone can kind of live with, rather than everything that we absolutely agree on. Mm. I, don't, I think the whole days element, the ideal days, whatever you want to call it, time based estimation, just sounds a lot more realistic than it actually is. Yeah, but some people—the uh, whole concept of story points is still, for, and I think it's mainly a cultural thing, an organizational thing—that that will never be a, a good fit for some organisations that are very much steeped in in time based estimation theory. So, what would your strategy be with, the, with those people? I think I've got no problem if if it's working, then stick to it. Good. Yeah. Um, if it's something that you think is broken then change it. We knew, I, I remember the times that, well, when we were at BT, we used to get teams to estimate ridiculous things. Just just for a bit of fun. Yeah. We used to do fruit-based estimation. We used to do uh, dog points. Mm-hmm. Alcoholic units. Mammal points. Yeah, alcoholic points. Headaches. Headaches. Donuts. Vegetables. Whatever it is. The most important thing is I think you've mentioned this to me before, it's comparisons. Being able to make comparisons rather than make make predictions.
0: I think the more of that you can do, the better. Yeah, we're born with a fantastic ability to compare things. Yeah. I had. had, um, It's related, but. Not directly, I suppose. In that, I've had a couple of people say to me, I, I don't, we, "Scrum's not for us because I really don't like story points." Well, there's nothing. There's story point as you know, story points are not a, a formal part of Scrum. But that, I think that says a couple of things to me. One is that there's a misapprehension, misunderstanding of what, of what these things are. Um, but also the fact that it's so commonplace now for, for agile teams to use abstract estimating and something like story points that it's almost become just common law if you like yeah. that's, that's how you do it because it's been it's proved so valuable to so many teams it's, yeah. it's just it sort of goes hand in hand mm. I
1: mean quite often now it's, um, the whole concept of planning poker as an exercise there used to be a time where people would generally look at me as if I was some kind of you know uh, sage that had come up with something completely un- 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 you know, unbelievable but now i think planning poker is generally accepted that most people you know on, on a course that I i mentioned it people have done it before and they're they're aware of how it works yeah um it's not the only way obviously but when um, you can still obviously planning poker the, the unit is not is non-specific but um what's your view on the whole and uh, the 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 uh the no estimates theory because as far as, well, from what I know, um, I do agree, kind of, that the, the idea is that, that estimates are always going to be wrong. I don't think we'll ever live in a world where there's no estimates, but I think what these guys, the the hashtag, no estimates, um, what that, that kind of, lead, that community is suggesting that the less estimation we do, the better, which, which to a degree, I agree with.
0: Um, um, well, I don't know whether this is the right... what they're they're talking about but I believe that we're terrible at estimating we're good at comparing so we should do less estimating and more comparing and we should probably aggregate things rather than break things down to the nth degree
1: yeah and so and I think they're they're very much saying we're not saying get rid of estimates but they're saying
0: do the right type of estimation yeah and I I completely agree Yeah, there are times when I've been I wouldn't like, for example, if I, if I had um, some, some builders around my house doing, a, doing an extension. Which you have had with Which I have. There's no way I'd be comfortable saying, go on and get started, don't give me an estimate. No, but you want a ballpark. Yeah. You want something to work with. I on. know it's going to be wrong. And yeah. Be, and and I quite happily actually had a conversation with, with, uh, with the builder saying, that tell me what. Don't give me a, an optimistic estimate. Don't give me a, a middle ground estimate. Give me the pessimistic estimate, so that hopefully it's not going to go above that. Yeah. Because I know things are going to go wrong. And maybe it'll come underneath that, and if yeah. I'm prepared for the worst, and so that's that's useful for me. Exactly. Yeah. When I put myself in the position of a customer. Yeah. I don't think it's fair to expect, but any equally, kind of you're not going to. Abs- you're not going
1: to. You know, I'm not draw, looking at... draw that build over the coals just because they gave you a wrong estimate. No, I'm because not... if it's wrong, then it's got to be put right or whatever. You want to get a good job done. Yeah. And if you to a level, if you've got a, a level of trust with that person, then you you respect when something was was estimated incorrectly. Yeah. We had a build. My builder recently made a complete hash of the electricity quotes mm-hmm. because he's not an electrician. So he gave us an indicative cost, which was less. You know more than 50% out, okay. so that's, but it's not, you know, it's, dis- it's disappointing in a way but these things kind of happen that the things are more complex than we thought. I don't think we're ever going to live in a world, in a perfect world, where everyone just kind of puts their hands in and says, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, and, and, no, and estimates will go I think we're always going to need to estimate, but I think we can get better
0: at the, at the level of accuracy that we give at the right time. So how do we do that? But you don't think doing more estimating leads to better estimates. How do we get better estimates? I think, I think you can get better estimates. Mm.
1: The more predictable, the more stable you are. You're stable as a a (laughs) team. Yeah, but if you're constantly estimating things that you're unaware of, if if things change too much, I don't think you will get better at estimating. We
0: don't have sometimes to have that luxury. No. the, the bigger the piece of work in general, the greater variability there is, right? So that would that would argue that the smaller you can break things down, the more consistent your estimates are going to be. Yeah. But there's effort involved in doing that. Yeah. Yeah, because that but there's more of an
1: overhead in breaking things down to that level. So, yeah, the Kanban, the, the Kanban approach of uh, breaking everything down to a smaller level that you can just... You don't... The idea of not necessarily analysing the estimates but just continuous flow of work through that, through the, through the process. But take, that's an overhead in doing that, you, unless you've got some naturally small pieces of work that are always going to be done. In my, in my experience, there's always, there's always big chunks and there's always difficult chunks to break down. It's not always going to be, you know,
0: one, two at a time. Yeah. So this, this this team then that was made up of hardware and software people. What, what do you see the future for them? Um I what think was your advice
1: by, to them? well by the end by the end of the course they were they were, did seem to come to a a bit of a common agreement that it was a good idea to at least discuss the numbers that they came up with. Because okay. the original concept was that they would go away into their functional silos agree hardware estimates with it, with other hardware people outside of their team and software software people will do their estimates with other software people but i think by the end of the course they've got to the point that it was a good idea to actually at least validate hardware estimates with other software engineers within their, within their project teams okay and i think even if that those people didn't necessarily have the skills or the experience to do that work there was some benefit of common agreement and team commitment that this was a good way to do it and the right numbers as far as this team was
0: concerned and what what value did they sort of agree they would get from that process
1: just more not necessarily better estimates, but better uh, understanding and more team ownership of those figures, of those numbers, and a bit of safety in numbers as well, because then it wasn't just one engineer saying, I think it's three days, he, he could have, he would, uh, the team would back him up, him or her up, by saying, yeah, it's three days. Mm-hmm. We as a team think it's three days, if it's wrong, it's wrong, we were all
0: wrong. But if it's right, then, they're not, then everything's good. That safe, The word safety there is an interesting one, because I think that's, that's the driver behind a lot of the inaccurate estimates, isn't it? It's the fear of the consequences of it being wrong. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And if that, you would argue that if there's less fear, then people wouldn't worry too much about the accuracy of the estimates anyway. So should they worry a little bit?
0: Well, yeah, I, th-
1: I think so, because inevitably... I'm a big fan of teams actually coming to team decisions, to team commitments. So if it's a number, and at the end of the day we, do, we are asking for a number that we write against that product backlog item, then as a team we hold our hands up say we came up with this number and we believe that number. If yeah. it's wrong, then we're we all wrong and we need to look at how to make it a little bit better in the
0: future. Yeah, because if they didn't care then they, would not, they probably wouldn't bother looking at Making checking their assumptions, checking their thought processes, the risk yeah. analysis, yeah all that. That will help them not just make their estimate better, but make their work better. And their work more predictable, more efficient, more Yeah. Sustainable. Yeah. I think so. Okay, I Now, mean, I agree they should care a bit, but they should care internally. They shouldn't it shouldn't be a a, a care that someone else is going to be judging them on their inaccurate estimates. It's that those those numbers were less useful for them, and tell them something that they can learn from and use for their own improvement and their own benefit.
1: Mm. do you remember the last time you estimated something badly?
0: Um, the traffic on the M4 today. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I I hate being late for things, so I generally overestimate traffic. Um, that I was ten minutes late this morning. Ten minutes later than I planned to be. Yeah. Uh, I was still earlier than you. It was fine, but uh, general, that's the general theme <laughs> of how these things go. But uh, I mean, it was a, it was a a time of day that I hadn't travelled on that road for quite a while, and given that. You know, the, the day, and the week, and the time of year, the variables that I didn't take into account as well as well, I like Because a... there's
1: always going to be things that you can't plan for, that will yeah. completely, you know, throw an estimate out altogether, the things that you couldn't possibly foresee. And yet, in kind of, the way in everyday life we kind of accept that, but yet, in a corporate, in a scrum environment, we kind of get, you know,
0: punished for it, for things that we couldn't possibly foresee. I wonder how much of the punishment is real and how much of it is perceived. I mean, I'm oh, not... yeah, I agree. That's easy for me to say now, because I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not really subject to anyone's judgment with my estimates, really. But I, a lot of the time, I see teams worrying about yeah. the consequences when I, I know from conversations yes. with the people that they perceive to be worrying about it. It's not a big it's deal. It's not a big deal. No, exactly, yeah. Um, I and mean, there's historical consequences to that, but I think a lot of it's, it's personal as well. There's a sense of personal pride in getting things right getting things wrong.
1: Yeah. But
0: then you get into the horrible situation that people deliberately overinflate estimates, yeah. just to look like they're always they're always right. But there's a sense of personal pride in that as well, in that you don't want to be seen to it to take too long. So you don't want to overinflate your estimate too much because people will think, well, you're terrible at your job. I remember,
1: I remember we were told in BT, Jeff. I think this is standard project management training for both of us in uh, 2003, whatever it was. You know, we are taught by some very experienced project managers. that said, "Paul, Jeff, if you want to uh, calculate and budget your projects correctly, uh, listen to all the estimates that your developers give you, average it, and add 50 percent, and then very you'll scientific. get, and then you'll get the right number." And that was, that was, I remember who it was. I won't say his name, but that was his advice to me on how to estimate and put those numbers into a little Gantt chart, and then. Uh, Check up on the developers every every day to make sure they're delivering it. And I can remember being a developer in those teams if I said to my boss it would take me five days to design a, a new web front end even if it took me a day I'd make sure I took five days to do it. Yeah. I'd just drag it out. Parkinson's law. Yeah yeah. What it is. Yeah yeah. It's a bit like tack. Like <laughs> Here we go. I've mentioned this to you before. Um if you give, so on training courses, quite often I'll give people blue tack to put yeah. things on the wall. Okay, yeah. now, now I know that for a small piece of paper, or maybe even a large flip chart piece of paper, it takes maybe, probably two small pieces of blue tack. to st- small? Well, yeah, relatively small. Um, so what I'm talking about uh, kind of drawing uh, pin head size. Yeah, drawing pin head. And if there's two of those, one, one each on, on top, the top two corners. Yeah. I know that that will stick a piece of flip chart to the wall for two days without yeah. without any kind of
0: air conditioning problems or anything like that. Right. So those are factor But also, if there's anything stuck on top of it, like laminated sheets or anything yeah, that that, that the sometimes. Of it, that but generally, if I'm yeah.
1: talking for a one
0: yeah. one piece of paper.
1: But yes, uh, sometimes a I'll one give point story, if you will. Yes, but some I'll I'll give out blue tack to the groups that are working, yeah. at, and I'll give them quite a large amount of blue tack. Yeah. Now for i I'll say stick the piece of flip chart paper that you've been using on the wall, but they will use all the blue tack. Yeah. Because I've given them, let's say, you know. I've you know, um, the size it a piece of a blue size yeah and I'm doing it with my fingers you can't not, not a great not a great uh, visual example here but um, a large piece of blue tag far too much for one piece of paper but people will use up all the blue tag because that's the blue tag that they've been given yeah. so the activity expands to meet you know to meet the, the uh, yeah the amount of time you've got, yeah. And this test, the amount of blue tack you've been given, yeah. Why is
0: that? Well, it's the simplest thing, isn't it? There's no calculation. Well, it's the simplest calculation necessary. That amount of blue tack divided by the amount of times we but, need but, to but, use it. But
1: why? Do people tend to stick it all on four corners rather than two. Why would you do what, what that's? And some people even put one in the middle. Okay. If I've been given that amount of blue tack, I must use it in, the, in a variety of different complex ways to make it um, deliver what I needed to to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, in a similar vein. When I, when I run people through uh, a, a sort of simulated release planning exercise, no matter how many requirements, tasks, stories I give them to, to plan, they will always find room within the fixed time that I give them for, for that number. If I give them 20 yeah. items, they'll fit 20 in there. If I give them 20 Even so if I they've give them got notes, no idea that they can actually do no. it. They will just divide the number of tasks they have across the amount of time they have and split them that way rather than work out, well, how many can we do? Because it's the simplest and the calculation. easiest calculation to do. Um, but it actually creates the wrong impression. Yeah, and, cre- and it creates problems as well yeah. for themselves, yeah. And uh, when, when, when you present it back to them, when you play it back to them, they will realise that, they will hold their hands up and say, yeah, yeah, that's not possible Uh, we could have done that better Um, and that's to me one of the values of an iterative approach is that we can use those iterations to to hold that mirror to ourselves as a team and say all right how can we plan the next one better if we're we're really open and honest with with ourselves with regards to the process we went through the decisions we made um, how can we make a better decision next time for us I guess that's the message right yeah How can we make a better decision as a team with the data that we've got? Rather than is the data absolutely correct? Is that it then? Yeah, we better wrap up there, Jeff. Alright. It's need, need to have a clink of our glasses, don't we? That's our sort of trademark <laughs> thing at the end. Oh, I forgot about oh, cheers. that. Yeah. Cheers, Jeff.